Sit down if you want to. Right in the middle of what's going on. I'm in the middle of an interrogation. Take a seat, young Skywalker. The middle children of history, man. Middle of the day, Alfred? Please, take a seat there. Right now, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Stop the middle of the base hit! Meeting in the middle. Fight, fight. They fought for the freedom of middle. 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 The middle of the middle of the middle. The middle of a war. Freaking ridiculous. Why don't we have a seat to talk about? No, not the middle seat. Meet us on the beach where we all get old, dip your feet in the water, plug in your AirPods, and listen to the Middle Seats podcast, the best seat in the house for all things movies and entertainment. Welcome to the show. I'm your guide through the timeless magic of movies, Andrew Ojeh. Let's meet my other timeless co-host here. His hugs are as immortal as God himself, Mr. Nate Longarini. <laughs> Good to be with you all. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not a huge AirPod guy because I'm the type who's going to get them lost in the sand. But if you want a hug from me, you can get tangled up in my headphones. <laughs> you know, I wasn't... So smooth. I wasn't a big uh, AirPod guy until recently, so that was me being a changed man with that. So I, 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 I sympathize. Maybe I'm just saying. an old fart, Drew. Yeah, I think I'm, you are. I'm, I'm with you, Nate. Speaking of old farts, at his rate of decline, he'll be needing prostate exams by next week, Mr. Jake Hensler. <laughs> That's 100% true. I, I, as of like a year or two ago, I'm officially one of those guys who like grunting groans when he gets in and out of the car. You know what I mean? Oh, I believe it. <laughs> I do that too. Like, okay, so maybe it's not just me, but like, I notice when I like get up from a couch, like get into a car, I'm like, oh, for no reason. I'm young. I'm relatively healthy. I'm not like out of shape, but I don't know. Getting up and sitting down is a chore apparently. Oh, I, I think it's a proven fact that millennials our age are accelerating at a pace faster than every generation before oh, yeah. us. So <laughs> I literally saw something on Twitter today and it was like, um, adult older than me. Oh my God, you're in your prime. You're so young. You know, you're, you're you know, you have so much energy for your twenties. And it was like me after lunch, like snoring. <laughs> yeah. We get a lot of those adults we can thank for us being exasperated since we're going to be in debt for the rest of our lives. And as the planet dies around exhausted. us. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Real fun shit on this podcast today. <laughs> I was going to say too philosophical for the beginning of the Middle Seeds podcast, the best seat in the house for all things in movies and entertainment show typically divided into three segments. Uh, we have a lobby talk segment where uh, this week Jake will pitch a topic and we'll talk about it for 10 to 15 minutes, just as our intro to the show. Then we usually have news and a feature review. Today we've got two feature reviews because we're kind of doing a hybrid thing like we did a couple of months ago where one of the MCU shows is finished. So we're going to talk about Loki. We'll review that and kind of talk about what that means for the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and what we thought about it. And then we'll get into the featured movie review of the week, which is of M. Night Shyamalan's Old, which you can catch in theaters. So guys, let's jump right into it. Jake, give us your lobby talk. Let's all go to the lobby. You in the lobby? What do you look like? I will blow up the block before you can make the lobby. Alrighty, so this is a little bit inspired by a new job that I have. If you know me, you either think this is a, a great opportunity or a terrifying one, but I am becoming a teacher in Brooklyn, very excited, and I'm learning how to teach young children, third graders specifically, and looking at what we were viewing today, which is Loki and M. Night Shyamalan's new movie, Old, and I was kind of like, you know what? Mysteries can be really, really hit or miss. And I kind of just want to do a fundamental breakdown of mysteries. What makes a good mystery movie? What makes a bad mystery movie slash TV show? And why? Give a couple examples and you will be graded. You know, participation is forced. I'm looking for, uh, you know, effort. Show your work. Correct answers only. Um, Nate, go ahead. 
<laughs> oh boy, I, I hate being first in class. Cold calling. <laughs> yeah, this is my phobia. I thought I was done with this chick. <laughs> He's about to argue. He's like, my presentation was scheduled for tomorrow. <laughs> I was totally that yeah. guy. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. What? You? What do you mean you didn't get my email? Hey, let me try to send it again later tonight when I get back home. <laughs> were you that? Were you guys those kids that like there was like a deadline and then there was like. There's a chance you were going to go, but you weren't going to go, so you just kind of sat there and hoped that, like, the clock would run out. Oh, 100%. If I knew it was two days, it was, like, over two days, I would volunteer to go the first day just because I know I'll procrastinate it until the last minute, and I'll just, like, just do it, get it over with, and then you can sit and relax for the second day. That's pretty good. See, I knew that exactly was going to happen, too, but I just gave in to my demons and just said, Keep delaying, <laughs> delaying, delaying. <laughs> like I'm damn with this lobby talk. Right. Because <laughs> he's writing notes right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Mr. Puzzle Master himself, I'm sure you could put together a good mystery. What do you think? Yeah. yeah. So I love mystery movies. Like we've talked about this before. Memento is up there with my favorite movies of all time, if not my favorite movie of all time, depending on what mood I am in that day. Like thrillers in general, when you're, when you're talking about movies, um, is different than mysteries in other places like a mystery novel you're just being inundated with information and you're trying to piece together the puzzle on your own with movies and film and tv like you get to go through a journey in a very different way with your characters and i think it really just comes down to one word and that's ambiguity you might not know where the story is going but I think even more so, you might not know where the characters are going either. And you were literally watching them unfold on whatever screen you're watching. It's so like Memento, uh, Prestige, another Christopher Nolan movie that I adore. Get your bingo are, ready, Christopher Nolan. I know, I know. <laughs> That's my dude. Um, like, they aren't necessarily, like, hard mystery, like, whodunits, like we think of Sherlock Holmes in our heads. Mm-hmm. But they're still very much that type of genre because... You're trying to figure out and piece together what's happening, what are our characters doing, and where is the story going to go? And with all those types of movies, you don't know both the plot or how your characters are going to react to the plot unfolding around them. And I think that that's just key to making mysteries work really well in film is just engrossing you in both the story and the characters. Yeah, I, I can't argue that. For me, it's very important that the destination itself is important and that they stick the landing of the twist or whatever choice that they make for who the who done it or whatever but it also is really important that the journey works as well yes uh the way i phrase it is kind of like i like mysteries where the ending doesn't feel inevitable like i don't like mysteries where i feel like i can pick out what it is from five minutes in and i i think i'm looking at it through more the who done it lens than nate is because him referencing memento and the prestige is interesting to me because I never even thought about that when you, you know, proposed that, which I should have been because this kind of the root of this was solving the mystery of old, which is certainly not a whodunit. But I, I, yeah, I think it needs to be entertaining along the path to the final ending, and it needs to land that final ending. It needs to make sense. And Jake, I'm going to use one of your favorite terms, like plant and payoff is so big. I, I love mm-hmm. when a mystery movie will be like, oh, he shook his hand with his right hand, which means his left hand was broken. Because he used the knife with, you know, it's like that kind of stuff. You like the big exposition dump at the end. If it's done well, like like the whole Mm -hmm. Benoit Blanc roll up your sleeve scene from Knives Out. But I don't like the uh, 
I don't like it when it's laborious, you know? That's why I'm talking about, like, execution is so important. It's it's about 50-50 execution and the exact mechanisms of whatever twist they're going for. They both need to work, so it's really tricky mm-hmm. to get a good mystery done. Yeah, definitely twists and characters are obviously super important to make a good mystery versus a bad one. Like, if it's predictable, people aren't going to like your mystery movie. Uh, if it's boring or not relatable, or if you just think characters are making dumb decisions, not going to get too invested, not going to do too well. But one of the main things that I thought stuck out to me, and Andrew kind of touched on it when he said the journey, is I think pacing. You need to keep everybody engaged, as the, everybody being audiences. You need to keep them engaged, interested, having things, having exciting or at least captivating things happening over and over again. And I think the most important is periodically releasing bits of important information. So things mm. that come to mind are Gone Girl, which has... From its, from its I was main... going to bring that one up next. Yeah. <laughs> Gone Girl's one of my favorites. So when that movie reveals what's going on is earlier than you would expect, and then there's like yeah. a twist every 15 minutes, which is just brilliant. Exactly right. Yeah, it, the movie the movie isn't over. It's It's got five twists to go. <laughs> yeah, <Right. laughs> and it, it just executes them so well. There are two ways you can do pacing. You can do it like that, which Knives Out does the same thing as well, where it tells you what happened. At least you right. think what happened within 30 minutes, and then it slowly pulls peels back the layers to show you, no, that's not really what happened. Or, alternatively, you can do it the traditional route where it's first act, set up the mystery, second act, everybody accuses each other, third act, reveal it all. And I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to that as long as the pacing is tight, and that's where it relies on the filmmaker mm-hmm. and the actors to carry it along the way so that you don't feel a sense of staleness while it's going on. Yeah, I think another huge factor to stuff like Gone Girl succeeding is about knowing cliches in the genre and then twisting your movie around knowing the fact your audience is going to expect cliches and then subverting those expectations. We've talked about that before with Knives Out, just totally twisting the whodunit genre on its head by Mm. telling you who did it. In the first 15 minutes or whatever it was. It's like the first act break, not even. (laughs) There's also something like The Usual Suspects, where that famous twist ending. One of the best twists ever. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I think the the choice of Usual Suspects is interesting to me because, one, absolutely, yes, it's got that whole central mystery, but it's also got other action driving it forward, too. And I think another thing a good mystery movie that isn't traditionally like a whodunit can do is you know, have a main central story where the twist and the mystery is kind of a sequitur to the story. The whole thing of Usual Suspects is the big crime job that they're Mm -hmm. doing as a team. And then the Kaiser Soze part of it is an important piece, but it's not the central piece. Right. The the movie focuses on on crime and underground and it, you know, it consistently hints at who it might be and it it wants you to keep guessing, but... Even if you do get it, you don't you don't quite get why. <laughs> the why is <laughs> yeah. so good in that movie too. And I think another important aspect as far as the journey goes, uh, Prisoners does this really well where they do release bits of information, but the characters go on, specifically Hugh Jackman and Jake Gyllenhaal is great in the mystery. There's a point in that movie, minor spoiler alert, where they capture a guy that they think did it. He ends up getting out of it and, and killing himself. And I remember being in the theater thinking like we're heading toward the end here we have we have a guy this movie's been very good they have a prime suspect all the evidence adds up 
and then he kills himself. And I literally, I remember kind of throwing my hands in the air and being like, I have absolutely no idea where this movie's going, which mm-hmm. is great. Yeah. That's exactly what you want. Because I was exactly. feeling that desperation in Jake Gyllenhaal and Hugh Jackman. Like, they're running out of time here, and their best lead just killed himself. So, like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was trying to get at when I was bringing up ambiguous characters at the mm-hmm. beginning of all this. Because that movie in particular, Prisoners, everybody in that is just such a huge, loose cannon, almost, that you have no idea what that character is going to do next. And there are protagonists, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, what's their breaking point? It's half the mystery of trying to find the kids and figure out what's going on there. But also, the other half of the mystery, almost, is just trying to figure out what the characters are going to do. Just like Gone Girl and some of the other great movies that we brought up during all this, the journey is just thrilling the entire way through and it's not all hinging on one big reveal at the end it's just thrills the entire way through it's something that you can't pull off with every kind of genre and that brings that brings me to another point because that all of that transitions really well to the kind of mysteries that don't work for me as much Mm -hmm. i want to pivot to tv uh, for a second, because I, I've never been a big fan of like the Law and Order SVU shows or the CSI Miami's or stuff where like you start an episode with a murder and you spend half the episode trying to figure out who did the murder. And then there are only like three possible suspects and there's nothing interesting going on with the characters of the show. Bill Burr has a great bit where he talks about just he can't watch those shows because he's he's looking at his clock. He's like. They, they always catch a first suspect, you know? And he's looking at his clock. He's like, there's 30 minutes left. No way this guy did that shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, he right, no though. chance, boss. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, and it's it's so true. Like, And that's why, Nate, as you were saying, the subversion of expectations, and Jake, as you were saying, with the Gone Girl comparisons and everything, that is what is so important that you can use. Like, there's nothing wrong with cliches as long as cliches are weaponized in a way that makes the story surprising. And I think... Hollywood's gotten a really good groove over the last couple of years of finding a way to make that work. I know a movie that didn't work for you guys was Murder on the Orient Express that we reviewed uh-huh. ages mm-hmm. ago. And I feel like that followed a very traditional structure. And even though the answer in it was a little surprising to me, uh, where they were all in on it, spoilers for <laughs> a 300-year-old yes. book or whatever, um, that's why I like these new stories and – that's why I can't deal with the traditional formula. That's why I don't like read John Patterson books and stuff like that. If we're going to go to even another medium because they all follow the same general path and what's the point? Yeah, very very true. I was I was hoping we, you would touch on TV at some point too because another good example of without going into details, uh character journey is True Detective season 1, one of my favorite seasons of television ever. You're just <laughs> those characters just do like they're mission to find out what is going on and their their successes and failures i you're just so engaged the whole time it's one of the only dramatic seasons of television i've watched on um, more than one occasion just because i think it's just so expertly done yeah that's a great pick yeah all right guys i think we put this mystery to bed but um thank you all right I... now let's use what we learned and review loki and old <laughs> Yes. Oh my God. I won't say it's insufferable at this <laughs> it point. It just started. Uh, but let's just say I, I give this him. This is my second week. <laughs> Don't keep doing this, please. Oh boy. <laughs> That'll do it for lobby talk. Let's move into our review of Disney Plus and Marvel's Loki. 
timekeepers have built quite the circus. Big metaphor guy. I love it. Makes you sound super smart. I am smart. I know. Okay. You picked up the Tesseract breaking reality. I want you to help us fix it. You really believe in this Loki variant? Luckily, he believes in himself enough for the both of us. You can trust me. Loki, I've studied almost every moment of your entire life. You've literally stabbed people in the back like 50 times. Might never do it again. Loki is the third MCU show to grace Disney Plus this year and, and all time, I'll say. Obviously, we reviewed WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier on past podcasts. You can listen to both of those uh, by going onto your computer and Googling Middle Seats WandaVision or Middle Seats Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We're not here to do your homework for you. See, Jake, I brought it back. There we go. Thanks, man. Uh, Loki is, <laughs> was created by Michael Waldron, uh, who started out as a writer on Rick and Morty. Uh, he is now tapped to do... Uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. He is the principal writer behind the final draft of that film. Uh, it was directed by this woman, Kate Heron, and it basically follows a version of Loki that we spent very minimal time with. Minor spoilers, I guess, for Avengers Endgame. I don't even know why I have to keep doing that. If you're listening to this, you've seen Avengers Endgame. <laughs> There's the 2012 version of Loki that steals the Tesseract after uh, Hulk didn't want to go down the stairs and knocked out Tony. He steals the Tesseract, and he ends up on a journey and is confronted by something called the TVA. They're a bureaucratic organization. They exist outside of time and space. They kind of monitor every timeline across the multiverse, make sure things don't get out of order. They keep things in check. That's the simplest way I can explain it. We'll get into the more mind-bendy, twisty parts of this as we go on in the review. Basically, Loki gets caught up in this kind of thriller mystery that jumps around time. I'm going to keep it as basic as possible and give people a tune out because this will be a full spoiler review. Uh, but basically, Loki is confronted with a situation that he is very uniquely qualified to deal with. Partners up with Mobius, played by Owen Wilson, who is one of the top agents at the TVA. The series also stars Gubum Mbatha Raw and a bunch of other people that we will talk about in a bit. So Loki was one that I don't think we really knew what to expect. Like we had expectations of mystery for WandaVision and expectations of the inevitable succession of the Captain America mantle with Falcon and Winter Soldier. But Loki really could have been anything. The show ended up being more consequential than I expected to the overall picture. But what did you mm -hmm. guys think? We've got two straight weeks of MCU reviews. Of course, we have Black Widow last time out. Let's go with Jake. What did you think of Loki? Uh, as a whole, I liked it a lot. I really did not know what to expect going in. And I actually want to poke, poke at Andrew a little bit because we had not, not an argument, but it's a slight debate about all of Marvel's like expanding universe and how they're doing TV shows. And I was like... I think I use Loki specifically. I was like, hypothetically, if I watch WandaVision, Falcon, Winter Soldier, but I'm too busy and I don't get to Loki, I don't want to not understand what's going on in the Marvel Universe. And we both basically came to fruition like, that probably won't be the case. And I don't know that that's true anymore. Loki ended mm -mm. in a one of the biggest, like Andrew said, consequential endings. But I would say as a whole, I liked Loki start to finish there was one episode that was specifically weak i think it was episode three still a good episode but i think that was the weaker one and then it was consistently really good and i'm eager to talk about the ending because i feel like nate has some words but i love the ending personally <laughs> i watched it again recently just to refresh my memory it was a very effective mystery there was a lot of predictions online about who the villain was but as far as like 
what was actually going on with the villain, I could not have predicted if you paid me a million dollars. Like, I was not going to get that. Uh, each character had interesting stuff to do, had an important role. I loved Loki. I loved Girl Loki. I loved Alligator Loki. Um, I love Hugh Grant Loki. I loved Owen Wilson. <laughs> like, there's just so much good stuff Did about this Did you say Hugh Grant Loki? Did I hear that correctly? Richard E. Grant Loki. Oh, not Hugh Grant, Richard Hugh E. Grant. Grant. <laughs> a little different. Very I will let it slide. But I, when I said Hugh Grant, I was hoping I was right. I, 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 I'm so, I couldn't. That's what an image that is. No, no, you, you need to correct me on that for sure. Um. <laughs> you know, Hugh, Hugh Grant would have been a great Loki in like the 90s if they made that. He's too old now, but he's got the mm. same like qualities as Hiddleston. Nate, before you go, can I address one thing that's not going to come up organically probably? Go for it. Circling back to what Jake was saying about do people have to watch this show? And I think I it's hard for me to disagree that this is a monumental thing that happens at the end, but I also think the movies are going to do a recap of it so that these shows still are not essential. You might miss the extended backstory of everything that led up to it, but I don't think the casual audience that isn't watching these shows anyway are going to care about that. So I like half agree with you on that point. I, I disagree on the other, where I, I think the movies will do enough to get people up to date about what's happening. But we'll see. We, we, that's only speculation. All right, Nate, general thoughts on the show. All right, yeah. General thoughts, I think this is on par with the other Marvel shows. I think mm. I've been a little bit more critical of these than the two of you have. And I think this still holds true here. I liked this show as a extra pillar of the MCU. I liked it less as an individual series, specifically with how it handles this Loki's growth. Um, I was a little let down by certain aspects of the final episode, just not tying things together because the show intentionally leaves the ending so open-ended as to what the hell's going on as part of its series long thing. And there is going to be a sequel to Loki, so we'll be able to explore more of this and go from there. It was definitely more of like a lost finale than like a Breaking Bad that has like a very definitive end point to this chapter in Walt's life kind of thing, if that makes any sort of sense. But overall, really liked the characters. Um, Owen Wilson gets all the props in the world for me. Like he his really dynamic surprised me. with Tom Hiddleston was good, but I felt like Owen Wilson just totally killed the role in with a new character that made me love him more than I did as Hiddleston as Loki. Because Owen Wilson just got to do so much more with his character. And this version of Loki spends most of the show just pretty confused about what's going on. Which is not the place where we've seen Loki in the Thor movies or even the first uh, Avengers movie. And I think this one definitely had, if not the biggest budget, the best use of its budget mm -hmm. than any other show. The effects look really great throughout the entire bit. It's very colorful, too. Yeah. And it didn't feel like TV. It felt like a very extended movie that I had to pause every every week. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I'm teetering more towards Jake's overall opinion, though. I, I think I agree with some things that you guys are all saying. My anticipation for what this series is going to be based on what they told us was I thought it was going to be kind of more of like a time hopping through history thing where Loki kind of messes things up. Like he goes because they showed that whole like recreation of the D.B. Cooper thing in the trailer and I thought that was going to be a big point that that turns out to just be like a one-off joke in the in the mm -hmm. intro point the first episode 
What this ends up being is a very surprising show in its directions and choices and what they are trying to accomplish. And I found all of that very welcome. I think stylistically, this is a really phenomenally designed show. It has a really yeah. rich backstory with the TVA. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we get a really good understanding of what they do and what variants are and you know, the whole mystery behind who the timekeepers are and what that is, is palpable enough to keep us going forward. But also there's a lot of good stuff specifically with this version of Loki. Now, some people on this podcast are going to tell you that this version of Loki doesn't <laughs> satisfy what we know about the character. And that is true. This is a very, this is very much Loki in straight up hero mode. Um, You're like subtweeting. Uh, yeah. I, 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 think some, I think some will know who I'm talking about. Um, I wonder who. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think I think there's a lot that Hiddleston is able to do here that is very welcome in terms of just fully embracing the fact that Loki's barely a villain anymore and just embracing the whole hero role in this other world where he's surrounded by agents of chaos and deception and betrayal uh, that he has been the primary person for in other versions of the MCU. And I think the big thing, and this is kind of be kind of our transition into spoilers for the midsection of the show. The thing that surprised me the most is how much this show is dedicated on this kind of bizarre, narcissistic romance between Loki and basically himself, Sylvie, played <laughs> fantastically by this up-and-comer Sophia DiMartino, who I think does a great job of just being this kind of badass, but conniving version of Loki who also has this great like revenge story to tell. And I think their connection forms the glue of the show that I really wasn't expecting and thought, wow, like, you know, this is kind of working for me. In, in the same way that WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier ended up being more character studies than I expected, the same thing is the case for Loki. This one just happens to have the added benefit of having major ramifications for what's coming later. All right, can we just cut the cut the cake and talk about what's happening in the last episode? Cut the yeah, cake. please. Yes, let's do it. <laughs> so Loki and girl Loki essentially break reality. <laughs> That's what we're what we're down to. This time traveler named Kang, um, technically with lots called of his own, technically called He Who Remains in this version of it, which is very important because they never actually say Kang. Um, okay. Either way, we have a time traveler. And he has lots of variants, a lot more evil than him, that are essentially unleashed upon the MCU to the point where Loki goes back to try to figure out what's going on. And we all of a sudden are in what appears to be either a reset or a brand new TVA. All the characters we learned about in the last six episodes are oblivious to who Loki is and what's going on. And this could trickle back all the way to all the 20 movies that preceded all this. And we don't know if Iron Man's still going to be Tony Stark, or maybe we have a Tammy Stark. (laughs) There's so many possibilities of what Marvel can do with this. Obviously, this seems to be tying into the Doctor Strange movies, Multiverse of Madness. WandaVision could totally slide in here and we could spend a movie or a couple series trying to fix reality as we know it or we could be jumping in between 
Rick and Morty style between lots of different realities. Yeah. Don't forget Spider-Man, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Spider-Man's going to be a big one, too. The possibilities are endless. This is fairly monumental. And like you were saying earlier, Drew, I, I hope that the movies will address the more casual fan so they aren't left out of the loop and all this, because <laughs> if we're all expected to watch all the shows now, we have a lot more Marvel homework in between movies. Yeah. I also, I'm wondering if with these new realities and reality breaks, rather, I wonder if they're going to use that somehow to fix the Black Panther problem, you know? Like, it's, I'm it's really not likely. sure what yeah. they're going to do with Chadwick. That's just such a difficult task to figure out. But, I mean, with multiple timelines and multiple infinite possibilities, really, I wonder if they'll use that. I feel like Nate is – well, he said he's going to be more critical than us. So I'm curious to see his thoughts on the finale because I really loved it. I was pretty blown away. And obviously I'm always excited about Marvel, but this, like, re-sparked something in me, this finale. I was really shocked at where it went, and God only knows where it can go. So I'm wildly excited, and I I had this feeling that I haven't felt in a while, like, I can't believe I have to wait and see how this plays out. Like, I'm not going to know for months what happens next, and I'm, like, infuriated. I can't wait that long. I need to know how this plays out. Like, And I I love that feeling. I haven't had that from a Marvel movie in, I guess, since Infinity War, but, like, that doesn't happen that often. I'm open to hearing Nate's criticisms because I'm I'm sure there could be little things that might not add up that I might be missing. Yeah. But for now, I thought it was so well done and so interesting. Well, I think we need to take a step back and talk about the actual execution of the finale. And I, I think that is where Nate's root criticisms came from, if I remember correctly. So if you can jump into that. Yeah. And that's kind of what I was talking about um, in my general thoughts there is that as a pillar of the MCU – this is monumental. There's lots of things that can happen from this timeline bit. But as an individual show, trying to focus on Loki, and it's literally named after him, I felt pretty let down in terms of what that finale was. Because on paper, it was literally Sylvie and Loki open up the door to the place that they got to at the end of the last episode. They walked upstairs, talked to Kang for a little bit, had kind of an existential crisis of like, are we going to make the right choice here? I'm not exactly sure what the right choice is. Sylvie essentially backstabs Loki. Um, so she was actually the most Loki character in this show. <laughs> and, and and then we're treated to that very much of a cliffhanger finale. There wasn't a whole lot of action there. And if it wanted to have a more philosophical ending, that's fine. But there also isn't any huge bows tied on any of our character development either because Loki has spent this whole arc trying to become the hero type he wasn't particularly good at it but we don't know what he's going to do about his feelings with Sylvie it's just kind of like wow this door is now completely open and we don't know what's going to happen we don't know what Sylvie's going to do because we don't get to see her take up the mantle of the TVA or whatever Kang was doing we don't get to see any of the new versions of Kang. And we don't know what's going on with the TVA because all of the character development that we had gotten about them finding out, whoa, our entire organization is a lie. 
is now apparently wiped from their memories. So you tie that all up and like the whole six episode arc has amounted to nothing but loose ends. And that's why I was disappointed. And I think I personally, from my point of view, it's completely fine as a season finale to leave loose ends. What I what I thought that came to a head in that final episode, it is a lot of talking. And we haven't even mentioned Jonathan Majors does a fantastic job as he who remains yeah. slash what is reported to be. I'm doing my journalism thing. What is reported to be he is playing the character of Kang. That has never officially been confirmed, so I just want to be clear about that. But it, that's most likely what is it, he's it going pretty, to be playing. Especially when he says the Conqueror, that is kind of Kang's name. He's Kang the that, Conqueror. Literally. So it, like, the Incredible Hulk, Kang the Conqueror. It's it's that. <laughs> it is. Even his color scheme. Like, I, I've seen the characters, like, designed right, in the, the comics, per, the and his outfit, and like, fits it too. Yeah. If it's not him, I don't know what Marvel's doing. <laughs> right. Semantics aside. Any, anyway... This whole episode plays out like one of those parables, and I know we're not big religious people around here. They, there, are, there are parts in the Bible called parables um, where there are these stories that Jesus used to tell that used to have like a moral to it and consequences at the end based on the character's actions. If we're going for more of a movie terms, uh, think of that sequence from Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows part one with that animated flashback explaining what the Deathly Hallows are and seeing the consequences of how that all came together. That's the vibe I got from this episode. Our two characters who we have met and developed through these five episodes are basically presented with a choice and with a bunch of information detailed in grand, over-the-top detail by Jonathan Majors playing a, a guy who has basically lost his mind from keeping track of time for all time. Uh, and he presents them a choice. Either you can kill me or you can let the world continue as it is even with the knowledge that everything is meaningless on the TVA side, these people that you've grown to have relationships with, like Mobius, have just been ripped from their their home life and are just fulfilling this purpose for somebody they're never, ever going to meet. It, it's a very fascinating choice. And the philosophy that our new Loki takes, as opposed to Sylvie, I thought they did a great job of showing how that has changed across the six episodes. Um, so it, it really all worked for me. I didn't need some big bombastic action moment. I, I do see where you're saying, Nate, where you're saying, like, you wanted a few more things wrapped up, and I guess th that's fine, but this feels like act one of a longer story. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt. I'm assuming a lot of this will be wrapped up in future projects that are, you know, up and coming. Yeah. I think my big comparison um, from another movie that this finale reminded me a lot of was the ending of Matrix Reloaded, where Neo oh. has to make a choice in front of the what's it, what's his name uh, the guy the, the tv Ar watcher Ar architect the yeah, architect yeah, 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 thank yeah. you it's it's very similar yo neo the matrix is a total lie but you could keep it around to save the woman you love or you can reset it and save humanity what you gonna do and the choice that Loki faces is not that different, and the exposition dump that we get from the one who remains and the architect is kind of similar. It's these it's these moments that remind me, and that's not a beloved ending by, by a lot of people, I don't, myself I don't included. Yeah, I don't agree that there's – I mean, yes, they're both exposition jumps. One is boring as shit, and one is told with a lot of panache. That was my big – that's the big difference for me. Okay. And that, that's that's your opinion. Between the two, yes, I'll take the Loki version every time, but I'm not going to go and call it a huge TV moment for me because it, 
it just wasn't. It was it was a little bit of a letdown. Tread lightly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think this is a bit of a agree to disagree point because as far as wrapping up goes, I am assuming that we will just be getting more answers in Loki season two and Doctor Strange and Spider-Man because those are all touching on multiverse stuff. So I'm assuming we will get more answers. So I'm okay with how this ended. This ended with a giant consequence and a monumental shift in basically everything we've known from the past decade of the MCU, which is very exciting, endless possibilities. I know before the finale came about, Nate, you had expressed some character issues with Loki, as in he's the god of mischief, he's known for backstabbing and not being the hero, and that's not really what we get in this in this show. And mm-hmm. I, I hear you, and I agreed with you at first, but when I sat with it and kind of and reflected on it, I was like, you know what? He dies a hero in Infinity War, and he doesn't die here, but he goes the heroic route right. this time again. So I think that is, if, if we believe that time is paved for us, that is kind of his arc. This is two stories in a row now where he's not a hero for most of his life, but he does end up at least trying. You know? Yeah, and he gets he gets humbled right at the beginning of the show when they show him that him being a oh, bastard yeah. <laughs> doesn't work out. He he gets to watch everything that happened and that drawer full of infinity stones, and he's just like, uh, yeah, uh, I'm literally chasing marbles around. Yeah, <laughs> his grasp for power is meaningless. I'm chasing marbles. It cost me my mom, my entire homeland, and then my life, and what ended up being a fairly meaningless, not meaningless, but like him. Him standing up to Thanos didn't change what happened in Endgame. You know what I mean? Like, no, he yes. didn't really achieve anything, and then he died. <laughs> so this is for me. It's him taking a different course of action, and Sylvie is the one that kind of spurs that out of him. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. So that that's why it worked for me. I, I get what yeah. you're saying, Nate, because you want the the archetype of what the character has been. But we get I'm that not, in different ways. I'm not even ways. saying I want him to continue being villainous. I I'm okay with him being a hero, but like at the end of the day, he's still Loki, and Loki is a meticulous planner. He's a smooth talker. He can find his personal ins to any situation. And this show didn't give him any opportunities to do that because he was just constantly getting explained to because he was just so out of his element. And again, that's that's what the story was. But I think they could have just come up with some some clever ways for him to use his illusions to get out of some of like the minor scuffles he had with his other Lokis or when he was first running from the TVA. We just didn't get a whole lot of that. And that was that was a little bit of a letdown for me. I hear that. I think we need to start moving on to our next review. Uh, but I want to give you guys a chance <laughs> to just bring up stray things that you found cool. I'm going to mention that I think the theme music and the score by Natalie Holt yeah. is among the finest work in the MCU. It's a lot of pheromones. It's a lot of like bizarre sci-fi sounds. It really adds to the mystique of this is just like a, a world that we just don't understand. It's not an earthly thing going on here. I will yeah. sign on to that. That was mm-hmm. great. I want to reiterate again, not even too much to talk about, but I was very surprised at how much I liked Owen Wilson here. He just, every time he's on screen, I'm like, wow, I love him in this. He's so good. He's so fun. He's so entertaining. <laughs> he doesn't take any of Loki's bullshit. Every time, actually, you know what? Every time Loki tries to talk himself out of something, Owen Wilson's Mobius just goes basically like, shut up, man. Like, you're not getting mm-hmm. out of this. <laughs> um, so I liked him in that. And then 
again, to touch on what Andrew said at the very beginning of this, how creative and well-designed of a show it is. It's just, even when they're in like the boring or quote-unquote boring TVA offices, it's still a unique designed place. And then everywhere they go after that is something eye-catching, is something unique, is something fun on screen. Like, it's just... It's such a, again, it's such a well-designed show that even when the story is interesting, everything around it is interesting, too. It's just really, really well done from top to bottom. All right. I'll, I'll keep my thoughts brief because I, I do agree with a lot of the good points that you guys brought up. This one just lands with me with the other MCU shows thus far where it just doesn't stick the landing is all. Great concepts, good characters, great design all around, and... Just tweak those scripts at the end, and I would I would be fully on board. But as it is, these are fun rides um, in between the movies for me. Nate, rank them. Uh, I'll probably I'll probably put this one a half grade above uh, Falcon Winter Soldier. WandaVision's still probably my favorite, but they're all pretty close, like three out of fives out of five. Uh, WandaVision, Loki, Falcon and Winter Soldier, they're all close to me, but they're all closer to four out of five. Basically same, but ditto Andrew. I like them a little bit more than you, Nate, but I think I think my rankings are the same, but they are all fairly close. They all have some really high high highs, and they're consistently well done, which, good for you, Marvel. TV transition's going pretty well. <laughs> it, it, it's odd, because it's like, I, I definitely like WandaVision and Loki more, but I think episode five of Falcon and the Winter Soldier might be my favorite episode out of any of the shows. Now, that's the one where he fully embraces the Captain America part of it. And mm-hmm. so I don't know. I, we'll, we'll revisit these at a different point in time and may have different opinions about them. Next yeah, uh, Marvel show up uh, is What If, uh, the animated show, uh, with a lot of these multiverse hypotheticals taking place in animated form. Uh, so that'll be out in August. Uh, and we may or may not talk about that one. That one is probably not going to be very consequential, but maybe there'll be fun things to discuss. But yeah, for the rest of the year, we have What If... We have Hawkeye, and then we have Miss Marvel as well. And then the rest of them will be going forward into the next few years. That'll do it for Loki. Uh, let's move into our feature review of M. Night Shyamalan's Old. No kids allowed on the beach? What? Whoa. Who would leave this? Body has decomposed. How quickly can that happen? Seven years. Trent! Kara! Come here! Hey, have you seen my children? Mom? I'm I'm right here. What's happening to us? Whatever's happening to us is happening very fast. Whoa! I'm scared! We have to get off this beach! We're here for a reason. Old is the 14th movie by M. Night Shyamalan. Jesus. He has been around for a long time, about since we were born, guys. Uh, He got his big break, of course, with The Sixth Sense in 1999. Uh, He's been on quite the ride since then because he had one of the best starts to his career uh, with Sixth Sense and Unbreakable. Uh, And then depending on how you feel about it, Signs. Uh, It was a big hit, so we know that. And then he had that rough patch uh, in the middle with Lady in the Water, The Happening, after Earth. Last Airbender. After Earth. Yep. Jesus, what a murderer's row. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> about about as bad a run as any director has ever had. Uh, and then he made a comeback uh, with The Visit and Split. Glass was kind of a mixed bag. And now he's back with a semi-original idea 
for a thriller slash horror movie. It's based off a graphic novel. Uh, it's a very, very simple premise. A group of people at a tropical island, they get invited onto a private beach. Uh, once they are on the private beach, they find some mysterious stuff going on, and basically they find out that the beach, whatever's going on there, uh, you age at a rapidly alarming rate. I forget what the exact ratio they said. I want to say it's like a year for every half hour. Does that sound correct? Uh, that does sound about right. Yeah, yeah. so the, the point is like the clock is ticking for them to get off this beach, find out what's going on. When they try to leave, they, they can't leave for certain reasons. The movie stars Gail Garcia Bernal, Vicky Crapes of um, Phantom Thread fame, Rufus Sewell, Alex Wolfe, Thomas and McKenzie, Eliza Scanlon, uh, and a number of other actors, including M. Night himself, who makes a pretty important cameo in this. So it's always a matter of, with M. Night, as we talked about with the trailer a couple of weeks ago, which M. Night are you getting? Are you getting the effective Sixth Sense M. Night? Are you getting the howlingly hilarious bad happening M. Night? Are you getting something in the middle? Generally speaking, Nate, what did you think of old? Yep, I will chalk this up to another good concept, pretty well executed, but had some had some pretty M Night sized flaws <laughs> in both the pacing and um, the ending, which obviously we'll get to when we get to. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part. I was pretty entertained by this. Uh, I, I wouldn't call this an outright bad movie, which is definitely a step in the right direction, I would hope. <laughs> um, like, this isn't as as tight as Split was. I think that's the most recent M. Night movie that I've actually been happy with. And this is very far from Sixth Sense and Unbreakable, which I think are the only two certified royal thrones that he's ever produced, on my end at least. I don't think, I, I think he's ever made a royal throne for me. Sixth Sense is very close, but I don't know if I would I would go that far. Well, at least my perspective there. <laughs> um, this is a solid attempt, but not quite there yet. Visually wise, this is this is exactly what M Night's known for, and he's what he's always excelled at, even in his bad movies. They at least look pretty good, and I think this one's up there with that. It really just comes down to the actors and their delivery of very key lines and then his classic M night twist, which may or may not hit you particularly well. It didn't sit with me fantastically. Okay. Jake, what do you think? Similar. I, I think it's middle act is it's best. That's definitely where it's most entertaining. First act is just kind of set up kind of whatever. Uh, again, middle act is relatively entertaining throughout some things that you kind of go eh with and then the ending I was same I was pretty disappointed I was like you never know what you're gonna get (laughs) like you said what M. Night are we getting this time and the ending was like I have predicted it and I was not really impressed or thrilled with where he went um yeah I don't know like pretty solid cast Definitely unique premise, but that's kind of what you expect from him at this point. He usually gets some good actors. He usually comes up with a good premise, and then it is wildly inconsistent as far as his execution goes. Yes. I mean, like, I don't know that we've ever <laughs> seen a director this inconsistent. Um, there's only so much you can say, I guess. Like, And I will say, I'm so torn on my rating that I'm hoping to be swayed by one of you guys in one direction or another. So let's see where we go. You guys are more 
pros and cons than I expected you guys to be, to be honest. I'm kind of in the same boat, but I expected an outright abject, like, I don't like this or I like this from Nate, especially. Because I, I think, yeah, it's my good sir. I, I think Jake's line where he said that this is wildly inconsistent is correct, and I, I think that pushes me on the negative side a little bit. I think that's where I am, too. I, I think when this movie is good, uh, it is very effectively creepy. In spurts, it has this really kind of poignant, subtle, glanced-over look at what the passage of time means for these people and the mm-hmm. importance of living in the moment and how horrifying it is to see all of that flash in front of your eyes. All that stuff is great. The cinematography, excellent. Yes. Lots of interesting compositions. A lot of gorgeous wides of the beach. There's a lot of claustrophobia. There's a lot of extreme close-ups, which he's known for, so I was okay with it. And when this movie is bad, it's almost as bad as the happening. Like, there there, <laughs> there are some inexcusably awkward moments with the characters. The performances, he doesn't seem to know how to direct actors really anymore, except for James McAvoy. And even then, I think that was probably a little that bit might just of be McAvoy being a great yeah. actor. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. So, so not to that, Jake. The the characters and that twist kind of tank this a little bit for me. Again, I, I am in the middle, but I'm on the negative side of middle. I think how the characters talk, how they act with each other, how they interact with each other, how they react to things that should be life shattering, that they underplay incredibly at points. These are things that I've heard Jake complain about with other movies, and I I feel like you will feel that way about certain other characters in this, where it's just kind of like. There are earth-shattering things. You just saw your child go from 8 years old to 18 years old. You're just super cash about it. Like, yep. <laughs> come on. And then again, a lot of that is direction. Do you think he's a better writer or director? Slash, do you think he should write scripts and let other people direct them? Or take other people's scripts and direct them himself? I think, hands down, the first option. I'd have him as a writer and have someone else direct. I think I'm with you. Yes, you can get some really creepy cinematography, and he's known for that. Yeah. You know, like writer and cinematographer, it's a little weird of a combo, but that's what he's good at. Working with people does not seem to be his forte. I like, Frankly, I think he's just a weird dude. <laughs> but, al- but also his dialogue is so wooden and alien. Like he writes in ways that people do not talk. So that's where yeah. I kind of pause a little. But that's why you have multiple screenwriters, you know? Like you can give him your story outline and he'll come up with a cool creative concept or in this case adapt a cool creative concept in a way that almost might work. I would say it should be the reverse. He should be the story outliner and somebody else should write the script. He hands in a draft and they're like, what's with all the talk about the hot dogs? Like, that kind of stuff is where it's like, <laughs> come on, man. Like, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, as, as a director, I, again, he's he's had three good movies on my list and two of them are from the 90s. <laughs> right. I think I would say four and throw him a bone for the visit. I like the visit. You're freaking weird, dude. <laughs> I can't stand the visit. Jake, you like anyway. the visit. I, I would say three good movies, The Visit's Not Bad, and then some, oh my god, dude, <laughs> like, what happened? <laughs> and I think that's kind of what his appeal is, the whole idea that, like, you never know where things are going to land on the spectrum. As someone who likes good and bad movies, he delivers in both radical extremes a lot of the times. <laughs> Remarkably. And sometimes and, in the same movie. <laughs> and I think I, and that's that's kind of what happened here. And that's why I'm kind of frustrated because it doesn't commit in either direction enough. So it's just going to end up in the middle. And when I'm going to talk about M. Night Shyamalan's filmography, I'm not really going to talk about this one that much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And on my overall M. Night rankings, I put it a little bit above the happening. And I give the happening a higher grade 
than I should quality wise because it's so funny. Yeah, like, it, it, it is one of the most. Makes you laugh. <laughs> yeah, it is one of the funniest movies I've ever seen in my life, and it gets points for that in the same way that The Room gets points for it. Um, mm-hmm. Brutal. <laughs> but, but old old is not enough in that direction. It's kind of like no. moments of that bad dialogue where you're just kind of like, "What was that? Like, what was all that mm. about?" And then they just move on back to the serious kind of at points of bland, at points effective part of the story. And I have Mm -hmm. to shout out Nate for saying something on a previous podcast that kind of sort of happens in this movie. And I, under my breath, went, are you? (laughs) I'm I'm saving that for spoilers. I'm not saying yet. (laughs) But in in my, I thought of you, Nate, and I, I, in my head, I went, you got to be kidding me. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's, he's playing the hits a little bit. I'll just say that. Like, (laughs) Mm -hmm. oh man. Yeah, so we're going to transition to the spoilers in a second. We're going to give our ratings first. Nate, I'll give you a first crack at it. If you're just joining us for the first time, we operate and rate things on the seat scale. We think a movie is perfect. We give it a royal throne. We think a movie has minimal flaws. Give it a plus recliner. We think a movie is good with sizable flaws. Wooden seat. We think a movie is eh to bad with decent things in it. We give it a damp lawn chair. We think a movie is awful, a.k.a. The Last Airbender. We'll give it a sleazy outhouse. If you should see it in the theaters, we will put the little check mark with a little bag of popcorn next to it to recommend a theatrical experience for it. So, Nate, go ahead. This is a very bipolar movie, but I'll throw M. Night a bone here and give this one a wooden seat. Hmm. It's very close. (laughs) There are definitely some sleazy outhouse aspects of this movie, (laughs) but I think the thing that's getting the extra point here in my head is that it's at least sticking with me. It's... It's a cool enough concept, and the actual aging parts are at least visually appealing enough that I thought about it for the next day and a half. That, that's at least a sign of an, of an entertaining story. I don't think you need to see this one in theaters. And again, this might be one where if you're watching it with just like a couple close friends at home when this eventually comes to uh, VOD, you can laugh about the incredibly awkward delivery of some lines here but that, that that's where I'll that's where I'll leave it um it's it's at least another solid attempt at a decent M. Night movie as opposed to a total crash and burn scenario and if that's what we need to get in 2021 we'll, we'll take what we can get I suppose so expectations were disappointed I was hoping for better because I thought this was a really interesting concept he had a good cast he was like mildly sort of on an upswing. Like the visit was not bad, better than I expected. Split was genuinely good, but then Glass was disappointing. And I was like, all right, let's see what he's got with some new content. And God, I'm, 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 I'm torn between two, but I'm going to procrastinate. So I kind of, <laughs> I kind of saw this and compared it to the village. So the village to me, same thing, interesting concept shoots for a good message as in like you know no matter how hard you try you can't protect the ones you love um an interesting concept good cast has good moments but ultimately is kind of just a a bit of a miss and that's how i feel about this like good concept good cast shooting for a message but ultimately a miss and i i think i'm leaning damp lawn chair just because i generally enjoyed parts of the middle but like beginning was lacking and had some two on the nose dialogue. Middle was a little inconsistent. Highs were high, lows were a little low and then didn't stick the landing. So I'm gonna lean damp lawn chair. Don't need to see this in theaters. 
But it's not an all bad damn Blanche. There is some good parts here. It's just like, I don't know, man. This guy drives me crazy. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for him all the time. I'm always rooting for him because of his creativity. He just doesn't know how to stick a landing most of the time, and it's so frustrating. I want yeah. him to do well so badly. Let, let's be clear. I think all of us would take old over, like, some generic, boring studio piece, right? Right. I mean, mm-hmm. I appreciate this movie's swings, and I kind of agree with everything right. Jake said, where it's just like, he just doesn't nail it. He has a great start, and he just doesn't know how to stick the landing sometimes. And it happens. I, I Like, that is the hardest part, executing the actual pitch to make it work, but, like, we've seen him do it before, so it's a little frustrating when he can't repeat it. Um, I'm also going to go damp lawn chair, though I will say I think we are all around the same range. I can see myself returning to this later and maybe being a little nicer, but I also could see myself swinging the other way where I'm kind of like, this kind of sucks. I get to be the high man. Yeah, that's (laughs) that is a rarity here on the Middle Seas Mm -hmm. podcast. On a horror movie, no less. Yeah, right? Um, let's just go into spoilers. I don't have anything else to say. Let's just do it. If you have not seen, (laughs) if you have not seen old, tune out now. Let's move into our spoilers. Whoa. Oh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Excuse me. Spoiler alert. For me, the twist is this rare case where it's like an underdeveloped twist that's a letdown, but also overdeveloped. They tell you too much about it, but they also don't tell you enough, which I don't understand well, how that's possible. <laughs> I think it's more like they they reveal that the reason that they've been led onto this beach in the first place is to be essentially part of an experiment and essentially fast-tracking the way that they test medicines by having people's lives carry out over the course of days as opposed to years. Um and the reason I think it doesn't work, it comes at the very tail end of the movie with no buildup to get to that point. It's straight exposition. It's like that Matrix Reloaded scene again, where it's just the guy in white <laughs> saying, oh, by the way, everything that we've been watching, this is why this all matters now. Here you go. <laughs> uh, so one, Im- one important point, Jake, before we go into the next part of the discussion, they're on this beach specifically because a few of them have underlying medical conditions. That's a very important mm-hmm. point of it. Vicky Crapes' character... The mom character. ...has cancer, has a tumor. Rufus Sewell's character has schizophrenia. One of the other characters has seizures. These are why they were selected. So for, for me with the twist, I, I, didn't, I didn't predict all of it, but as soon as they get to location and are like, oh, we had your drinks ready, I'm like, all right, they're in on it. Pretty much immediately. Mm-hmm. I'm like, they have they have a part in this. This is not just you get to a beach and shit happens. Like, the resort is in on it. They know what's going on. Part of me says it's interesting because it's like, okay, so our villains aren't total villains. They're enhancing medicine for the greater good, but, like, knowingly letting people die because of it, which is yeah. a little problematic. But <laughs> More than a little. Like, if they fleshed it out and added a little more to it, I could see this being something, but... Like, like you guys said, that's just kind of it. Like, they get off, they get off the beach, which we have to touch on Nate specifically. They get <laughs> off the beach, and then they pretty much tell you what happened, and then and then roll credits. And it's like, so, so we find out that these people are bad, and we don't like them. And then we go, oh, they're doing it for a greater good. So I guess I understand. 
and then they're arrested, and then that's the end of the movie, and it's just like, okay. Yeah. And so, I, I don't think you're supposed to like the unethical scientists by any stretch, but they literally take our main characters out of the equation for 10 minutes of that finale yeah. and then insert them back in and they haven't learned anything. Like at least in the, the uh-huh. Matrix Reloaded, Neo is our character we're following and he's being told what's going on. Our characters never have that moment. <laughs> it's literally the lead scientist guy saying, oh, by the way, all you people that already know why we're in this lab, here's why we're in this lab again for the audience. <laughs> you, know? you all know it, but... <laughs> There's no incentive to care. <laughs> this is the most somebody has talked about Matrix Reloaded in like five years, by the way. <laughs> I'm getting you pumped up for the, uh, for the Matrix 4. In, That's right. December, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, you're making me dread having to rewatch it. Yeah, that's <laughs> uh, true. Yeah, we should be getting a trailer for that any day now. Let's bring it back to the beginning conversation we had at the beginning of this podcast, though, the lobby talk. What makes a good mystery? And Jake, you kind of detailed it there. A crucial aspect of the mystery is very easily guessable in the first 10 to 15 minutes of the movie. Because uh, yeah. I, I had the same exact impression as you. Like, this this guy serving them water at their table, just, like, telling them, like, hey, it's a private beach for some people. Of course, there's no Yelp reviews about it or anything like that. So I wonder why. You right, know, only like, some people because I like them. Yeah, okay. right. You don't know me, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and at that point, it doesn't matter what the explanation is. You know, like they could be recycling your bone dust to make phone batteries or something. It doesn't matter because it comes out at the last 10 minutes. Oddly and disturbingly specific. If that's M. Night's next twist, Nate, I swear to God. Phone, phone battery. <laughs> I'm going to put my head It'll through It'll be a, a big commentary on social media and technology. and Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> We're withering away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you can't have your big reveal have meant nothing to the characters we've spent 80 plus minutes with. It, it just never will work. They're just pawns in the game, right. And, and, the, yeah. and like I kind of hinted at during the non-spoiler section, the parts that work the best in the movie for me were when the characters are reckoning with what's happening with their aging. I think my favorite scene in the whole movie is right before Vicky Crapes and Gail Garcia Bernal succumb peaceful, quote unquote peacefully to the aging. Mm-hmm. Their characters have been going through some tough marital times. They have some really clunky mm-hmm. dialogue and exposition about that in the early parts of the movie. But then mm-hmm. it all comes together where they all have one final moment as a family and they all reconcile. And I thought that was really – that really worked in the middle of a movie where we also have a character who's a rapper named Midsize Sedan and he just he, – <laughs> God damn it. I, I, I took a deep <laughs> breath when I heard that and I was like – I was like, M. Night, what? What? Like, it, it's clearly tongue-in-cheek. But not f- it's not funny though. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's your it's your deep horror movie, like with existential crisis. Like, <laughs> pick a lane, bro. <laughs> I'm gonna have to make that my Twitter name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you should, you should, Jake, mid-size, mid-size sedan. Yeah. Um, some aspects of the movie that I really liked is that I thought this actually did a really good job with all the body horror elements of the movie. You know, like mm-hmm. the the calcium deficiency death in the cave is f- terrifying. Yeah, that's Oh, tough. really? Um, See, my audience was laughing. Wow. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And like a few people, the guy directly next to me who's talking to me about the stock market and stuff, <laughs> he, yeah, he, he, was, he was like audibly laughing, not like chuckling to himself. Like he was laughing. And there were a few people who felt the same way. And then I kind of was like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's this disturbing, but like there's a goofy part of this. So. Mm. That's interesting. It like works in imagery, 
but it doesn't work with her being like, I'm still pretty, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll give you that. Like, I, I think one of this movie's cardinal sins is the the baby, because that's really terrifying that thing to, to witness, yeah. you know, like, that's real horror. They're like, oh, my God, they were pregnant and having a baby within minutes. Yeah. And then they have all this tension and it's released in the stupidest delivery I've ever heard. The baby died because of lack of attention <laughs> in like the most flat monotone way possible. I will, I will say I found that disturbing based on my implication and interpretation of, and this might be everybody's implication and interpretation, but did they, did the two of them comfort each other, like accidentally have sex? Is that the implication from these I, two yeah, kids I, that, oh my God, that's, that is, that is so icky I, to I think, think about it's, supposed it's to be so like, glossed over. Cause she says something about like, I'm like, I'm having unusual thoughts. And mm -hmm. I think that's like them discovering puberty, but because they were both like six, they never had a talk really. So they yeah, were just so like, exactly I guess right. we do this now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a fascinating element to add to the story though. But like a lot of this movie just doesn't go anywhere. This is this is what I'm talking about when I said like people don't react to things correctly. That should be that should be a traumatizing moment for the rest of the movie. And we like don't ever talk about it again. And like mm -hmm. again, when when the parents discover that Alex Wolf is older now and Eliza Scanlon's older now and Thomas and Mackenzie's older now, it's just kind of like it, I mean, obviously they're shocked, but they're not like as shocked as they need to be. And that's on M night. Yeah. The same level of shock if, like, I see a bug in the hallway of my building. You, you know? should be bugging out. <laughs> That's, yeah, right. That's what I'm saying. And, like, M. Night needs to take a breath, have them do another take where they're freaking out a little bit more because we will be transitively as freaked out as them. Instead, he focuses on things that are just meaningless. Like Gail Garcia Bernal's character, who is an insurance salesman, he just keeps yelling statistics through the whole movie <laughs> like, like it's a personality trait. And I'm yeah. like... Yeah. Well, like what? Like this is not character building. This is a quirky thing, and it's once it, he he did this with the happening, and he's doing it again, and it's like, in some ways he's regressing, in some ways he's progressing, and like, I don't I don't even know where he is anymore. Like, like what do I even <laughs> think when these movies come out now? Do I look forward to them or do I just expect the worst and then wait to be surprised? <laughs> I think that's always a healthy way to look at yeah. <laughs> I, at these movies. Yeah, I, th yeah, I, think I don't so have too. an answer anymore. I, again. His two best movies were among his first. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, because I was hesitantly getting my hopes up for this movie. I was like, really, I'm, I, and I will preface again, I am always rooting for him because I will always root for creativity to prevail. But come on, man, like, you're really making it hard. <laughs> like, I, I don't even know if it's him. Is it producers? Like, producers got to be like, no, man, flesh out this ending. There, like, there was a point in his career where he had complete creative control. And I don't know if it's the way, that way anymore. He might have gotten some of that back after Split. There's a documentation, there's a book about how he was so upset when the studio gave him notes from Lady in the Water, he, like, cried at a meeting. Like, that's the level of, like, intense genius that he was. Like, I don't know, like, Newsweek or USA Today or Time Magazine called him the next Spielberg after one movie. Like, that's gonna go to your head. And... I hope that doesn't mean people don't tell him what's not working and what's working, you know? Because right. you're right, that is the producer's mm. job. And speaking of things going to your head, I freaking called it. The Coral. Unbelievable. The Coral will save the day. <laughs> Granted, I, I thought the Coral was what was causing them to age in the trailer talk that we had a couple pods ago, but 
M Knight, you gotta you gotta throw up a different pitch. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I shouldn't have gotten that. <laughs> so to be clear, the 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 coral is what's like protecting them. them. Yeah, yeah. I, it's probably a nitpick, but those those two kids slash now adults held their breath for so long. Yeah, a going good through six that coral minutes, reef. Like. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm like these these are kids. These kids probably don't even know how to swim. How old are they? They don't you know, know how to swim like, in their new bodies, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> at least not swim well. Yeah. <laughs> you know, think of how uncoordinated you were when you were going through puberty. Right. They went through it in literally hours. <laughs> I think if I was enjoying the movie more, I wouldn't have thought about that, but I was just kind of like, this this mm-hmm. is an elongated time underwater. Yeah, and, and speaking of to some of those things, like, I'm glad he had a reason why they couldn't leave the beach, because obviously you need that. But it seemed like whenever he needed a, a way to make something not happen or have a way out. He was like, oh, nature's all wonky over here. If you say so. <laughs> we brought this up in the trailer talk, but I almost feel like it would have been better if this wasn't a find out what's going on mystery and it was just more like a, you screwed up. You're in the Bermuda Triangle <laughs> or whatever, whatever it is. It doesn't need an explanation. You are just stuck in this situation and get through it. And I think less was would have been more in this case also wait so when it's just them two the next morning and they're they're contemplating what to do next and what their next plan of action is they stop to build a sandcastle can anybody tell me why i think the the title of the graphic novel was sandcastle i think so too is but is that the only reason not the time not the time <laughs> right because if you know that you have maybe Six hours to live? Spend that time finding a solution and not building a sandcastle. Please, for the love of God. I immediately was like like white-knuckling the armrest on my on my movie theater chair, and I'm like, no, no, no. This guy's been doing this for two decades now. This has to mean something. And then it doesn't. They just build a sandcastle, and then he fig- and then he, he remembers that there's a riddle in his bag that leads him to the coral. And I'm like, why were we building a sandcastle? <laughs> Because you gotta live life in the moment. Jake. I that guess was the so. Whole point of the movie, right? And I, I yeah, know that's the message he was trying to hit, but like, basically, it's so this movie, on the nose. it's so dumb. Like yeah. everything in this movie ends up kind of meaning nothing. And like, I appreciate him shooting for a message, but like, get there, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. So before we fully turn on it, let's go to final thoughts here. <laughs> <laughs> Jake, why don't, why don't you keep it rolling? Uh, yeah, I, I liked parts of this movie. Um, it's not all bad. I don't think I'll ever go blow a damn blonde chair because it's not all bad. You know, like, like if The Last Airbender is a sleazy outhouse, which it is, this movie's not that bad. Like, it's attempting things, and it's got good moments. I always will at least appreciate a good concept. There's some good acting moments. Uh, there's some effective parts that drive the that drive the movie forward like like when the baby is born and trying to figure out ways out and like senses of panic and you know like having a cancer tumor removed quickly which even that scene alone had good and bad parts but like like everything was basically good and also bad but then the ending ended up being mostly bad so it just ends up in damn blanchard territory <laughs> and i don't know i'll still root for him i know he's got talent and smarts and creativity in him but like i don't know man i would love to sit him down and be like what's going on figure your shit out and then make another movie take some time off go to a beach where you're not going to grow old and just chill out for a minute like i don't know (laughs) if you like originality and creativity 
this is still kind of worth a watch, but like going with low expectations, I guess. I don't know. It's like we've been talking about this movie for a good half hour and I'm still confused. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I agree with a lot of the things we brought up. I have plenty of issues with this movie. A lot of it just stems from the the delivery of very key lines of exposition or reactions from troubling events. If you go through it and think, what would I be doing in this situation? There'd be lots of things that would change. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the beach ain't that big. I don't need to lose track of my kids for <laughs> That's true. hours at a time while I check out this dead body over here. And, oh, my God, now my kid is pregnant. <laughs> that's also true. Um, I think that's the difference between you guys and me where I guess the creepy elements worked more for me. Where Maybe. I was looking at it more of, like, the visual storytelling aspect and less the narrative storytelling aspect. Because that part's trash. <laughs> Proof of concept here and actually seeing this play out. I enjoyed enough that I'll give it the slightly positive ranking, but this is a very troubled movie. <laughs> M. Night continues to be a very troubled director. It doesn't give me a whole lot of confidence in his projects going forward. Yeah, but yeah. again, we'll continue watching because at the very least, he is entertaining one way or the other. Yeah, and I, th I think mm. what I would say to people that are even on the fence is to see this movie because I do think there is an element of must-watch with his movies that I think, for me, make them so compelling if that makes sense. It's very much like, even if they are disasters, they're in the same way that you stare at a car crash when you're driving down the road, disasters. They're, they're gorgeous in a way, you know? <laughs> this is not a disaster. This is a mixed bag. Um, it is, I, I, again, the word I keep coming back to is frustrating, and that's where I'm going to land with it. If, if potential was 10, it gets to like a 4 out of 10 with potential of this premise. And that's not enough. It needed to get to seven or eight, given everything else he brings into it and the, his weaknesses that are ingrained in his filmmaking that once again rear their ugly head. So, yeah, I wanted I wanted to like it more, kind of like what Jake was saying, but I, I can only go with damp lawn chair and we'll pivot from old wave goodbye and wrap up this episode of the Middle Seats podcast. Before we go, Nate Lungarini, where can they find us on the Internet? Alrighty, Here's how you can get in touch with us. Please like, comment, subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Middle Seats. You can also listen to us on the go on all your podcast platforms, including Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify. For questions, comments, and updates on the show, keep an eye on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at The Middle Seats. And if you like what you hear and you want to see more content, let us know and spread the word. We are reaching the home stretch of the summer. Some, a lot of the big movies are already out already. Um, if you have not listened to our F9 and Black Widow review, please return to that. That was a good episode. We are going to be talking about The Suicide Squad very soon, which at this point, 100% of Rotten Tomatoes with 50 reviews in. We'll see how that progresses, obviously, by the time we get to the review slash the time you guys are listening to this. Um, but we're very, very excited to talk about that one. Uh, another James Gunn joint on the way. And another superhero movie on the way. Fun times in movie world. That'll do it for Jake Hensler and Nate Lungarini. I'm Andrew Jay. Keep that seat warm, everyone. We'll be back soon.